Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of Discard for Magic, a Summoner Wars podcast. I'm Aaron, one of your hosts. And I'm James, the other host. Man, I'm loving the energy you guys are bringing. You're real excited <laughs> about Summoner Wars, huh? <laughs> and we're really excited today because we have Colby Dauk, the designer and of uh, Summoner Wars and the first man to ever wear a plaid hat. Uh, yeah, the first plaid hat in history. In history. Before Sherlock Holmes. I mean, his, his was probably like, uh, what's it called? That other... Kind of, I'm blanking on the name Gingham. of that other... Gingham, there you go. It was probably a Gingham hat. To be, to be fair. No, I think uh, I think that original one was plaid. Oh. I've had gingham hats since, but that original one was, was the real deal. Why don't we uh, talk a little bit about how we came to start playing Summer Wars? I mean, Colby's story is obviously going to be a little different. Um, but, I mean, I started playing Summer Wars when I got it as a birthday present at one point. And I've been playing ever since, 10, 12, 15 years or whatever. Who was the uh, person who gifted you that present? I think it was my older brother, if I remember correctly. He gifted me the original Summoner Wars, not the first sets that were like the dual sets, but the first master set that had like Bargraph and Shadow Elves and Fenders. It was a good set. It was a great set. That was the best seller. <laughs> it was real good. I liked it a lot. Instantly hooked. I was saying, um, so me, I, uh, I saw like really early copies before they were released when we were at Gen Con, and Colby was showing us like the all the HeroScape players, early like Phoenix Elves and Tundra Orcs, and trying to just get get hype up for the game. And uh, I played it a couple times, and I showed my friend Joe who other people might know as Spider Poison, and we decided to get into it a bit later. And I just kept playing, and eventually I started working as a playtester, and I don't know, it's it, it really hooked me, and I think just like a lot of the core mechanics are just so solid that I'm just curious how it all came together initially. That would have been back in 2009, right? Yeah, 2009. Yep, but the... the and I, I used to play the team game a lot with kids at work because I worked in like a grade school and there were kids between like age of eight and 10 that I used to play the, the four of us. I'd play 2v2. 2v2, yeah. Wow. And we'd, we'd set it up so that I'd, I'd play as the cave goblins and this one kid would play Tundra Orcs and we'd play against the Phoenix Elves and Guild Dwarves most days. Nice. And that seemed pretty balanced. Back when know. that's all there was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I had might have had two of everything, so I might have adjusted the common numbers even, or like thrown thrown con queso in something, because he was the first promo. And um, yeah, because you you know you'd want more zero cost uh, commons in that base deck for cave goblins and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a long time ago now. Kobe, how did uh, Summoner Wars start? It, uh, I started working on HeroScape, which is how I came to know know James. Um, I I worked on it as a freelancer. And at at some point, you know, a few years into that process, I decided I want to make my own game. 
and uh, in the process of kind of coming up with a game, uh, eventually I, I got the inspiration kind of whole cloth for Summoner Wars. It was just like the the basic idea was like, oh, what if I made a miniatures game, but all the miniatures were cards? And yeah, I ran with that, and that had, I shopped it around just a little bit. I showed it to Hasbro. I tried to show it to Fantasy Flight Games, and I was like, back then, those are the only two big dogs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so when neither of them wanted it, I decided, like, I mean, if I go to a small company, I can be a small company. So I started Plat Hat Games. Publish it. Yeah, I remember that part of that story. You were basically saying that if if I couldn't go with a big publisher, I might as well just do it on my own because, yeah. You, and then that way you'd have more control of your creative vision and stuff too. Right. Right. Well, it's, it's a matter of like, I needed that, you know, when you are a, a designer signing a game, you're getting a, uh, you know, percentage of sales. And so mm-hmm. that publisher is, is doing the work to, you know, bring in the sales. And I figured if it was a small publisher, you know, I want to be in board games as a living at some point, eventually, uh, I might as well start my own company and, uh, you know, and then I will get all of the sale, you know, minus, basically it would be more work for me, but But I would get all of the sale and it would get me closer, faster to being able to be supported off of working in board games. Right. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you just sold the same number of games, but someone else did it, you'd probably still be staying at your old job for even longer kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Unless it was the, it was a someone that was big enough to make it a bigger success than I could on, on my own. Yeah. Toby, what was your old job? What did you do before board games? Uh, the job that I was doing before I... Uh, started working full-time for Plat Hat Games was I was working for a church as a media director. And so I would do graphic design, I would do video production, stuff like that. So it seems like you still use some of that later on, like those skills you got there. You got Yeah, I do. I do. I, I do some level of graphic design just about every week. Uh, it's usually taking uh, designs that were made by somebody that uh, has superior skill level to me and, and, you know, adjusting them and working with them and using them in new formats. But yeah, I even have had, you know, a chance to flex my video editing skills and that here and there. Or, you know, I don't know how skillful I am, but <laughs> I have knowledge how to work the programs. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, like, the the one interesting thing with when Summoner Wars came out originally, it was sort of like right before the Kickstarter thing started. And I know you've never done one. Um, is that just kind of because you never did and you didn't want to do that? Or is it just because of the cut? Or, like, I don't know, do you think it would have helped marketing in any way or what? Well, yeah, I mean, I think that... I mean, I was already around before it came out, and I actually, 
you know, I had considered doing it and, and then didn't, and then, and, and didn't for long enough that, um, I started kind of seeing the negative repercussions from Kickstarter of like, um, you know, people not fulfilling on projects and things like that. And all of those are connected to the Kickstarter brand. And so my thought was that eventually that's going to taint Kickstarter as a brand and it, you know, it can't how many how many times can somebody be duped and get something they don't like or not get something at all that they funded and still go back to Kickstarter? And uh, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because they're like really large, successful companies that keep using it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I yeah, I thought I thought it was going to end up being a fad and, and maybe end up, you know, putting kind of a, a negative stank on companies that used it. But that never happened. <laughs> I mean, I think there's like uh, among certain circles, I think there is some of that, but they're not the ones that are paying all the board game companies for stuff. So, but the other thing I wonder too is that, like, if you think you did do Kickstarter, do you think it would have changed the way you create your games? Would like would Summoner Wars have miniatures for the summoners and weird things like that as Kickstarter goals or what? <laughs> I mean, if I was in the Kickstarter era and going via Kickstarter, yeah, I probably I would have. I would have had to examine the landscape and look at what was successful on Kickstarter and why, and try to uh, replicate that. Um, you know, but when I released Summoner Wars, like there wasn't a there wasn't a lot of examples out there for how to start a new board game company. You know, it wasn't all as public facing as you watch you know companies come up through Kickstarter. Yeah, because I mean, you were used to like Hasbro, which would do everything. Like they wouldn't talk to the they wouldn't talk to the fans at all. Really, they would just do their thing and then say, "Here it is." Well, and I would look to like Fantasy Flight Games as like uh, you know somebody that was doing a lot in the space that was kind of that I wanted to be in, and um, and yeah, I mean, they weren't out there like reporting on how they came to be and and having uh it, you know you couldn't kind of track internally what was going on whereas kickstarter is kind of there's a number of people who are very open about the process and and just kind of being on kickstarter and wanting people to back you you need a certain amount of openness because they're you're, you're trying to get people to cheer for you and all of that so I, I didn't have you know any patterns to follow and recently there's been a quite a few Kickstarters that have had a lot of problems. So, I mean, that's probably worked out for you in the long run. Like I know a lot of mythic games problems and other companies that, uh, have been having different issues with delivery and. I don't know. I feel like, uh, the people on Kickstarter have come to recognize that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's by the individual company. You, you've got to be, wary of and so it's probably difficult for new un unestablished companies to show up with a first game on kickstarter these days it seems like the big kickstarter successes are, and a lot of kickstarters they've, they've got to have something um you know to speak to either they're an established company that has a good reputation or they're an established designer that has has worked in board games for a while or or something like that uh in order to get very many backers because i think people just 
build they they just know when they're you know when it, things seem risky and they don't necessarily attribute it to the kickstarter system as a whole that seems to go against the original goal of it you know to give these little fledgling designers a chance or whatever or smaller companies but now it seems to just be used by a lot of bigger bigger companies yeah and that was that was part of why i didn't jump on right away was because i i felt like it uh projected that we were you know that that we weren't capable of funding something on our own yeah and and that that wasn't a good look and and at the time you know it felt kind of dishonest uh because of how the platform was pitched uh you know to 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 the people using it but i think that that has changed since i, I no longer think that the that uh, anybody goes in expecting that they are you know backing something that couldn't have been funded without them i think that you know they specifically look as i said for companies who are trustworthy because they might never get their game otherwise or it might show up and be a turd yeah it's just they end up front loading their payment <laughs> earlier on and then but so right they front load the payment and you know whatever kind of perks or whatever to draw people in um yeah i don't know i i don't have a good idea of how that affects the aftermarket for those games either so you know that's another thing that i don't i don't really know about but you know it seems like you it seems to me that like the biggest kickstarters go on to have the biggest long-term market too so it doesn't even seem to bother retailers anymore everybody's just come to accept it but you know who didn't use kickstarter colby let's get back to yeah. summoner wars i probably have made less money in my career as a result <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess a big question since we're all here playing second edition is what prompted that and what were some of the big changes and stuff like that well uh in i sold plaid hat games in like 2014 2015 uh and then the company i sold to sold to asthma day and and then in 2020 i bought back plaid hat games except without our biggest titles like dead of winter and mice and mystics yeah uh asthma day kept those and so you know i had Summoner Wars was one of the IPs I was, you know, bringing back with me because at that point it was a defunct game and they weren't interested in it. So they're like, you can add and, that one. And you're like, okay. I right. <laughs> and so it was a matter of, you know, we're independent again. What is it that we want to do? We no longer have to answer to stakeholders. Uh, it, you know, I can do whatever I want. And I wanted to take a shot at a second edition of Summoner Wars because I I felt like we had grown a lot as as, you know, a team. I'd grown as a designer, as a producer, and wanted to see, you know, wanted to bring that vision to life. And I, I didn't have to um, you know, convince somebody that that was worth doing. I could just yeah. do it. And so yeah. So how does it feel to be designing again? Because I know for probably like a decade there, or, or not quite a decade, but, you know, a good eight or seven, eight years, you're mostly as like the 
like a boss role getting other people to get their designs out but you hadn't really been designing as much i guess you've been developing a lot of titles but not like this is a colby doc design kind of thing yeah i would only develop stuff uh here and there i i did uh, quite a bit of designing on uh, crystal clans which is a game we we published uh but for the most part any i wasn't really digging down and doing uh the most creative and fun parts of design work it was more cleanup kind of work and uh you know working on the rule books and whatnot and i feel like so you used to, like help isaac with his designs kind of develop them a bit with certain things yeah I, yeah at least um, early on yeah some content creation around a system or uh feedback on a system and stuff like that um but i and i there are three or four games that i designed during that time and i was just always like well this isn't as good as seminar war so i well, think i just fair. won't release this <laughs> oh i'm yeah i mean it's a high I bar there was me. one that you were working on for a while you had art and everything and you asked me about it and i was like uh, maybe it's just because summon wars is so good but i was just like i don't know if this is gonna be <laughs> like <laughs> and it, and it just like sat there for a bit and i i feel kind of bad for not like being excited about it but at the same time i don't know no i i it was good feedback because it was very much a I've been told before, like with Summoner Wars, like, don't do this. Don't go forward with this. It's not worth it. Uh, so, you know, I'm not so susceptible to feedback that I, you know, give up on uh, on, on something worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, it It's just, it was accurate feedback and it made me consider, it, it might have been the main thing. I don't, I don't have a good memory, but it might have been the thing that made me consider like, do I really want to release something if it is a if it is a step down from from the last thing I did and and decided that that no I didn't that that, that wasn't the it wasn't how I wanted to present myself. Well, I uh, love first edition, and when I found out that second edition was coming, I looked into it as much news as I could find. I was spending all the time trying to figure out everything that was coming out. I was so happy to hear you guys were creating an app, which is fantastic. Uh, yeah, I mean, the changes that you guys made to second edition from first edition fixed a lot of things, which is Yeah, that was that was one of the things about wanting to make a new edition too was that it's not just that you grow as a designer or a producer, but specifically you uh, you know, the thing that you could you did wrong in the system, and you you're able to, um, you know, you're able to improve the system a great deal. And I think just in working on it too, it, it, yeah, I've grown a lot as a as a uh, creator, you know, content developer, and really understanding what makes a good Summoner Wars deck. I know the goal is to get to like 66 factions. Is that still something that you see as like reachable or I mean that's a lot and that's far off. It's a, it's more of a I, I it's it's less of a goal and more of a it's the cap. Hey look, <laughs> if this game is popular, if this game <laughs> continues to be popular, look how 
far we have that we can take it, you know. There are there are 66 possible combinations uh, before we run out of combinations because of the fact that there are 12 build symbols. That's quite a few. Yeah. So so that's a, one of the bigger changes in second edition is these build symbols rather than just having the old 16 factions. What kind of pushed you in that direction for having the build symbols, do you think? It was learning from mistakes from the first edition in in or in this case not even a mistake uh design wise but a mistake kind of from a a marketing end uh by releasing the second summoners you know doing 16 factions and then revisiting those factions um you had to identify what the difference was between them so this one was fallen kingdom okay if this one's revisiting Fallen Kingdom, what is it? And we call them Second Summoners, and identifying them as such um, meant that that the things was second on it and sell, even if the first summoner from that faction was an imprint or something like that, um, they just wouldn't sell as well because there was this like, well, I need this isn't this is I shouldn't get this one first because this is second on it, uh, so. It it really made it hard to uh, manage stock, in a in a way that uh, that it, and and it, it just like clearly all these second summoners there's just a big drop off in sales. At that point. even though um, if you like talk to like the hardcore players are like oh these are such great designs I'm so glad they made these but like when it comes down to those people outside of that central core, it just wasn't selling what you're saying right the new player wasn't likely to pick up those and and so then that's like an economy of scale issue if you can't make enough of them um then then you can't really afford to do it because you got to get the cost down by printing enough uh the fewer you print the higher the cost is and so uh kind of my solution to it with with this one was to instead of revisiting factions i would do these deck building symbols so that factions could share some stuff in common with one another and that would let you and that would be how you would build the you know deck build instead of having to you know wait for more fallen kingdom cards you could um you could build anything that was dark or fire into fallen kingdom uh and so like the deck building were natural faster and then everything because the reinforcement packs didn't sell as well either so the reinforcement packs and the second summoners so it was just you know pretty clear to me that everything should be a unique faction ready to go uh pack and then you know and then after that it was just solving for okay how do you do deck building in that because i knew i wanted limited deck building i didn't want like oh you can put any card in any deck uh, because. I think that it's uh it's just it's too much to consider when you're making new cards. <laughs> I, I mean I think it works well. Mm-hmm. And um I know both Aaron and I have gotten into the deck building side of things and because uh, obviously Aaron just won that big tournament. Um Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. It was a fun tournament to take part in. Oh my in. gosh, that friggin' cave goblin maneuver was just stunning. <laughs> The brutal force. <laughs> you poor, like that brutal force turn? That poor high elves player. 
Was that what it was? It wasn't Hiles. It was Sarah. It was Vanguard. Yeah. It was Sarah but with Hiles in her. Yeah. Yeah. Did played yeah, sanctity yeah, that's why I was thinking. Hiles played sanctity, like lost nine damage. <laughs> thought it was, thought she was well protected, and then lost nine damage and had her exit routes cut off, all in one turn. Yeah, it was pretty brutal. <laughs> so, uh, what's your favorite uh, faction that you've designed, and why is it Cave Goblins? Uh, <laughs> I mean, my favorite is uh, factions. The ones I'm most excited about are, co- of course, the ones that are coming up. Uh, you know, coming up. It's always the next one to come up, uh, just because it's it's the freshest, and um, you know, and you get excited for what's new. Uh, but I do have, I do have a particular soft spot for goblin factions because I I always get a little zany with them. Uh. And I think that's pretty fun. Uh, first edition favorite faction was Sand Goblins for sure. Uh, I don't, I don't know what second edition. I don't know that I have a one that I can point to as my favorite. I think I just, I really like to constantly change it up, play with a new one, and that, that's part of why I'm excited about new factions too. All the time is like. Uh, part of the fun for me in the game is less about mastery and more about seeing, uh, you know, it's more about like playing with new stuff and seeing new matchups. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think very hard. I don't think super hard about all my turns and all that kind of stuff as it can show from when I was streaming. Speaking of which, there's been a couple people very loud in the community. Uh, well, where were they when I was streaming? Again. That's what I want to know. I mean, they're thinking maybe you don't know, do it as often. Maybe once. I'd a have week. like three people show up to the stream. <laughs> That's pretty deflating to take time out of your day every day That's to do fair. it and, and and have so. And there would be like a hundred views on YouTube when I put one up on YouTube. It's just <laughs> like this is not a good expenditure of my time. Uh, but when we do like the tournament when we're the talking heads for showing a tournament game, like that feels good. That's well attended. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy the streams too. I think they, it needs to be more of a special event than a, because you know, the, they say that, you know, consistency is key, but I did it consistently for, you know, a few months. uh, And and it, it just didn't seem to go anywhere. So, I had to get real with myself and be like, I don't think I'm entertaining enough for this. I'm not drawing. I'm not drawing a consistent crowd. I think maybe people take it for granted when they know it's going to be. Well, every day at one o'clock we get Colby, and I don't. I don't know if I'll make it today, but I know I got I right, which is fine if, if it's a big or... enough group. But it's a pretty niche group. Uh, you know. Yeah. Hopefully, we can continue to grow Summoner Wars and. And something like that becomes more viable again. And and I do want to, you know, have the occasional stream where I play. It's just, uh, it just hasn't been the top of my priority list. That's fair. Something with the factions from first edition to second edition that I really felt was, I feel like all the factions are just so well polished in second edition and they all feel 
good. I know Jaxic doesn't love playing every faction, but like I don't mind any faction in second edition. Like I enjoy playing, and that was <laughs> not the case in first edition. There was several factions where I was like, I don't want to play these guys. Well, yeah, if if there's like a flavor that you don't like, uh, Jaxic, uh, if there, then that that flavor is going to be amplified in second edition compared to edition because. The design goal going in on a second edition deck is very focused on a theme of what the deck is trying to do. What is it? What is it bringing to summoners that's that's new and different, uh, and and that makes this faction play unique to any other faction? In in first edition, later on with like the second summoners, in that you started to see some of that as as you know that sign philosophy uh you know came to be as a result of of doing the game um but it, it's much more the case with second edition so if you don't like something that faction is going to be all about that thing <laughs> you know <laughs> to some degree whereas in first edition there was yeah, there was not nearly as much synergy as as, as there is in second edition and i think the best decks are the decks i liked most um were the ones where you could really feel that um those are the ones we got the most positive feedback on as well and it's just you know it's it's what people want out of like if people are playing a game like magic the gathering like the the experience that's exciting about wielding a deck is pulling off all these crazy combos and you know and, and doing some broken stuff like that's the that's the fun and so you know especially with second edition it's like i i want yeah i'd be happy if everything felt broken you know (laughs) in its own way and so stuff starts off really broken and gets reined in by through play testing but uh you know when i'm designing i'm 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 designing for fun not for balance and balance comes later so again, going back to the symbols, those kind of inform the design of the factions when, as you're kind of checking off and saying, well, what would a faction look like that has these two symbols? Is that kind right, of right? It's really, it's a, it's a limiter that it, that is really has the opposite effect. Like that, that limitation uh, definitely helps the creative process uh, by just, you know, getting you thinking about how combining two of the symbols, because each symbol has its own flavor uh by combining two of them what could that look like what would the theme of that be what would it be doing you know that's uh that's been part of the creative spark and part of the fun and designing factions for second edition so like dark the dark symbol the moon is sacrifice the shield the the divine symbol is is protection you know and so on and so forth and so you start to you know, so with the Crimson Order, it was a combination of dark and 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 divine, and and how to sacrifice and protection work together. Seems you know, like a right? <laughs> yeah, but that was part of the fun. So you said that you're almost always looking forward to the newest decks. What are the what have been the most fun decks for you recently to design? Um, the Mountain Vargas was really fun because it's it was, I mean that it, it wasn't even it was one of the simplest bits of design ever because it's like it's very reminiscent of the first edition in a lot of ways 
uh, like the summoners, the exact same uh, ability. And, um, but yeah, taking that's the case in a lot of places where like, oh, this summoner has a very similar or the same ability for as as it did in in first edition, but how can I make the deck all about that? And how can I make it so that you want to involve your summoner? Uh, and it's not just, you know, they're not just the king in chess and sitting in the back row. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it, it's you take the old design and, and you're amplifying it. And that's just. That was, I would say, like, especially true with the Vargath. And it was like kept really straightforward. And, and I, I especially love when you can evoke a narrative, evoke a really cool uh, piece of gameplay, a really thoughtful piece of gameplay with minimal words. Uh, that's something that's really satisfying to pull off, and I feel like the Mountain Vargath do that really well. Um, yeah, but it's usually the it's usually like the the very last thing that I designed, and I mean Storm Goblins. We just we just I just got through alpha testing those, which is usually just you know a few tests with the printed out copies here locally between Joe and I, and. Uh, and I've got them to a super fun place that I'm really excited about. Um, the The summoner has an ability called Circuit, and Circuit says that units adjacent to this unit have Circuit. <laughs> okay. And so the, the the so the unit adjacent to the so if there's a unit adjacent to your summoner, that unit has Circuit, and then any unit adjacent to that has Circuit, and then any unit adjacent to that has Circuit. And so yeah. you're creating this, you know, circuit, like this electrical circuit yeah. of flow, unbroken flow to your summoner. And then your summoner has the ability to just damage everything that has circuit. Just deal one damage <laughs> to everything that circuit. And there's a bunch of cards that deal with the circuit, a bunch of cards that deal with helping you create the circuit or avoiding damage on your own units that are in the circuit and stuff like that. Um, that's really neat. That's, yeah. So it, <laughs> and, and it's really fun. Like, you know, the first... The first design of it, uh, it was not very fun because it was kind of hard to set up. Um, but but the idea was, but the idea we evolved the design around the idea, and now it's like super fun. Like it's really satisfying to click that circuit into place and and you know damage your opponent's summoner from across the board. Yeah, I mean, I've really been impressed with the direction designs have taken. Uh, I mean, like the high elves are the most recent one that everyone has been able to see, and just like that whole double edge mechanic throughout the whole thing is really cool right and if you didn't like that like you you would especially not like the deck because it's you know <laughs> going to be all about that uh as to as to what i was saying earlier so I, I think that you know more so than than even first edition it's like you can really just pick the decks that you like and so even i, I think i feel like well, I have seen some people say like, oh, 66 factions. They're going to do 66 factions, which, you know, it's not what, what I said, I don't think. Um, <laughs> and, but it's like, it's just too many. Like, oh, the factions are releasing too soon. It's like, you really don't need to be a completionist. <laughs> like, I, I wish, like that, that, I wish that people did not feel that way because, uh, you know, stay in your budget, you know? I Like... If you if you're excited about something new, if you play enough that you're ready for something new, then we got you. If you're not, like, please don't sour yourself on the game by, you know, overspending on it. You know, that's that's not. It's definitely not my goal with the with the release frequency and and that. It's 
it's very much a, like the other side of things is there are people who are very excited about the new stuff and want the new stuff and ready for that new fresh shot. You heard it here first. Colby <laughs> says, don't buy Star Wars. Don't <laughs> buy more than, than what you, you know, no, what you want to spend on it. I, I, that's the thing. I like more than anything. I feel like the way that the game is, is put out like respects the consumer rather than trying to hoodwink you into buying more. You know what I mean? Like, I think that the the expandable format, the what you see is what you get format is, you know, the reason for doing that is in the customer's interest, right? Rather than a blind buy. A blind buy or just like, or, you know, loot boxes, any of that kind of stuff that a lot of other online games do or like these weird currencies and stuff, like all these meta games. It's like, I really respect that you can do either do the subscription or just buy a few factions you want to play. And you're just welcome to just go as much as you or as little as you want. But also, like, nothing is prevent, like, nothing is locked behind time or whatever. It's just like, if you want this deck, you can have it. And there it is. And it's not a play to win thing because it's not like, oh, these decks are all more powerful because they came out later or whatever. It's like they're tested to the point where, like, everything feels like it can have a good shot. And I just think it's a really refreshing take on how to actually market these kind of games. And I wish more people would do it or more people would appreciate I think people are doing what makes them the most money, you know? Whereas, like, I've already had a company, sold a company, and I'm interested in just making sure that the company is surviving and that, that all the people who come to rely on it can rely on it. And, uh, you know... But, it, but even... Because I, I, don't, I don't know that these, like, two-player competitive card games... Uh, expandable games that they're not really like they're not really what's hot right now i mean that's part of why that's part of why why not why didn't i think i could pitch a second edition of summoner wars when i was at asmo day it's like uh, um you know the numbers were saying yeah don't do that uh because fantasy flight was getting out of all, all the competitive ones and just doing cooperative expanded yeah like the arkham horror one and stuff Right, I mean, because it seems like people who get together to play games, they uh, to to play these card games, they're, um, you know, they're going to be drawn to what the most people are playing, you know, and so the the big dogs win. So you're um, saying there's going to be a co-op Summoner Wars coming out? <laughs> I, I'm I'm not saying. That. Uh, <laughs> I didn't think so. I don't want it. I'm just. <laughs> there is a solo play version on the app. Only yeah. the cave goblins. Obviously, you want to expand on that, but you know it relies on an AI. Seems like it'd be hard to make an AI for for Summoner Wars, which is why, like, you just he was Joe was experimenting with just like amping up the numbers, so it's harder to kill Takulu or whatever in the app. That's yeah, that's part of what you can do with the with the sagas is like the AI doesn't have to be, you know, all that good if you give them unlimited units or something like that yeah you can you can set the set the deck against the player to make up for kind of the ai's uh skill level and then of course you know have different skill levels on because the ai is good enough to to uh you know give new players a, a challenge i can remember uh one of the first times i played on the app i lost to the ai i had Played against the AI a couple times and didn't see any like fancy moves. And then 
I was playing the demo version. I was playing Cave Goblins, and Golwork came out and flew over my uh, gates and just killed <laughs> Yeah, I like, huh. I mean, when the AI started to click in, and you know, I'm just kind of like mindlessly taking turns, just kind of testing it out. Um, you know, not really focused. And then all of a sudden, like the AI is is um, you know, is starting to make a game of it. Uh, that was really surprising because I, I never remember f- feeling like the AI in the first edition was ever kind of capable of putting up a challenge. People would tell me like, man, I can't beat that AI. And I remember thinking like, oh boy, you're all dunce, huh? Because <laughs> <laughs> the AI, you know, I felt like always struggled. And, and I think this AI does its job, you know. It, it, ideally, it it does well enough that you know, people testing out the game that don't know what stuff does, it gives them a bit of a challenge, gets them warmed up to the point where they're playing other players. That's also the goal of those sagas, those kind of solo campaign uh, modes, and, you know, including those is something that the new player can go and do and get comfortable enough with the game uh, and then become part of the ecosystem of online play. And then when they come and play in the regular queue, they're like, why doesn't the Kulu have 45 health? Right, yeah. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting. I, it, right now, I think the player base is small enough that like a new person showing up for online play is really going to struggle. <laughs> like, the people who play online are really good. Um, so it's... Uh, it, It'll be interesting to see if we can grow it to the point where, you know, people coming into the online can actually have that the 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 ELO can do a good job of matching people up with somebody of their skill level. Yeah, because uh, there's enough I, people out there. I always click fair match. Yeah, just right now it takes a while for it to happen. Yeah, I'm just saying I try to avoid playing against the new players. Aaron doesn't care though; he'll hit fair match and. I don't. I just click play anybody. You're trying to I beat up on anybody. the new people, aren't and you? And sometimes it works out. No, I just, I mean, sometimes I get tougher people. Like when I'm climbing ELO beat like after everybody else and I just get like the top people, I'm like, huh, this is going to be rough. But if I win, it's a lot of ELO. Yeah. Well, yeah, that season reset kind of. Is, is interesting from the standpoint of yeah, yeah i guess you could go in there and play a tougher player at you know later in the season and run up the charge much faster that's kind of what massimo did because it's not like you've <laughs> lost your skill level it's just the yellow doesn't reflect it yet but if you lose against a newer player and you lose so many points i did that today i'm just expecting the giant loss tomorrow so like do you think do you think the seasons are a good idea or a bad idea for that from that standpoint i think they've improved like people playing a lot like i see a lot more interaction with people playing i see a lot of names that i've never seen before um i enjoy the seasons and the badges i think they give people different things to work for like i personally work towards like one or two factions but I know like Jexic and a lot of other people do like a lot of that. Yeah, and it kind of, yeah, you, it gives you the opportunity to run after one of those top ranks, or, you know, top percentages with a, 
with a couple of factions and then next season do it with different factions, you know? That's what I've been doing. I've been switching up the factions so I can try to get different gold badges. Although I think Aaron is saying he just wants to get a couple of the same so he can just be like, I have three fungal dwarves gold badges <laughs> or something. Yeah, and I just push to be, I don't know, I have different goals than some of the people. Like, I know some people want a gold badge with every faction, and they try. Some people did it, I think, in one season or like pretty close. And I'm more just like, I want to be the number one in the factions that I think I'm the number one in. It's going to be, I, I, I've actually managed to get up there with Cave Goblins, and I'm like two with Eternal Council right now, but. But another change from first to second edition was the increased health and attack. What what made that happen? Uh, it it increases the number of dice you're rolling, and so kind of uh, makes that the the luck curve more dependable within a game. Kind of the number of dice you're rolling it, it flattens out. Uh, you know, um, and and thus makes the game less luck based i don't think the game was that you know even with first edition like particularly luck based but the the other thing it also seems to allow you to do is it gives you more freedom in the design space what like if you want to have a zero cost common for the cave goblins before it was basically like one stat line they could have they'd be like a one attack one life for zero magic pretty much and now we've got climbers you got clingers all these things different stat lines at the same cost now that you have bigger numbers right yeah it, it definitely also lets you have more variety in what those stats can be uh be, because there's you know more room to work there it's a bit more epic for when you're like well i would be normally in first edition throwing like two dice in an attack but now i'm throwing six well, and, and having more attack and more life means that uh you know, I, I wanted the survivability between turns to be better so that there was more strategy and not mm-hmm. just tactical, like where there's a board wipe every turn, which is, you'd see that a lot of times in first edition. And Sometimes by your own side. Yeah, and, and really trying to, you know, with first edition, it was kind of heroes were super powerful, uh, you know, and people weren't playing common, you know, at the high levels, they weren't playing a lot of commons, really wanted to make it worth summoning those commons. Uh, it's it just, yeah, again, it's all just learning from first edition. If you look yeah. at the second edition rules, they're not that much different from first edition. And that's not for, that's not for like a, a lack of experimenting on our part. We experimented with all sorts of big changes on that, but the rule set ends up being you know, a lot the same. Uh, and the the changes are in the cards themselves. So did you ever test a version where you would, like, reshuffle the discard? Because I think that single change would make Summoner Wars terrible. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I never... I, I, I never wanted to do that, no, yeah, because not shuffling the discard is, is, is a great way to put a timer on the game. Make yeah. sure they don't last forever. Because mm-hmm. I think that because uh, we call it in the community, we often say that like you can win a game on econ, which just means like you wait wait until the decks are run out and then win. Essentially, you outlast your opponent more than just trying to assassinate the summoner. You know, right? So it's econ like, is always a factor, right? It's always how 
how fast am I burning compared to my opponent? And am I going to burn out before, you know, before I finish the job? Uh, yeah, I think that dynamic is really what part of what makes the game special and like adds an extra element to everything that you're thinking about with the, you know, whether you're going to discard cards for magic or not and how many. Um, Beyond Summoner Wars, you guys were just at Gen Con and you had another new game released fairly recently. Yeah, Freelancers is a Crossroads game, which is kind of the legacy that starts with Dead of Winter. And uh, it's uh, it's kind of the other kind of game that we're that we're focusing a lot of uh, effort on. It's uh, it, the Crossroads games are very narrative based. You're making narrative decisions, and they're fully voice acted. So there's an app, and the app basically just functions for you to type three or four digit codes in when the game tells you to, uh, so that it can play story moments and give you choices within the app that can lead to other story moments that lead to different results and it just kind of uh it, it doesn't replace the you know the board gaminess of it the tabletopness of it but it enhances uh enhances the story by evolving more of the senses um and uh yeah i, I i'm super excited about their super fun funny uh very entertaining to play through and uh and our first, you know, our first game since taking back the company was Forgotten Waters, and it did really well. And now Freelancers, early numbers are saying that it's going to do really well. So it's kind of a whole, a whole other side of the company. Something that I feel like that we're well equipped to do really well, and so it's a way that we can stand out. Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting that to have those two kind of things juxtaposed in the same company. I think. Because like someone, like if someone's ga- favorite game is Summoner Wars, it's not necessarily going to be Freelancer. But <laughs> you know, it's like, but I think it's right. cool you have both. You know, because it, it it almost seems like I was saying like if someone came and pitched to you Summoner Wars and you hadn't made Summoner Wars in an alternate universe, you probably wouldn't want to make Summoner Wars. You're like, this well, is I mean, I if I played to- it and it was really good, <laughs> uh, you know, then I'd made I had made room for it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's honestly the way the company evolved because uh you know summoner wars was was what i was doing it was my flavor what i was into and uh and then the, the thing that jerry really wanted to do who i knew from heroescape and worked with as a freelancer on heroescape uh you know the game he really wanted to do was mice and mystics and that really popped off and so you know kind of developed the team and a, and a and a development uh expertise in in those kinds of games and kind of continue to try to push the envelope on those narrative heavy games yeah and you had mr bistro right to, is he yeah. still doing stuff for you guys yeah he's he's a full-time staff member does jerry have anything in the works yeah jerry's working on the next crossroads game it's oh. going to be a space adventure kind of uh, guardians of the galaxy firefly kind of feel hmm. that sounds cool yeah i played forgotten waters and i really liked it um we played it with big groups of people and it took a decent amount of time though is freelancers still a similar like time no freelancers the adventures waters? are typically shorter and it doesn't have the like um 
it doesn't have the like you can only save it at a halfway point it's it's got the ability to save the game at any point mm. uh and and pack That's it up great. and and resume later but it, it's also like each adventure is plays out quicker um with forgotten waters they could be three four hours with um with freelancers it's like one and a half two hours but even if you're you know your plays are going long it's you're not you're not waiting for for that time to break you can kind of break whenever you want i think uh part of the problem was also that we we would tend to play with the max player count and that would also lengthen our game so we'd be playing for like four sometimes like five hours we'd always use that save when we hit that we'd be like okay we played for two and a half hours yeah we'll play again another yeah day. so that's definitely taken care of this time around uh we it's actually with a jerry game um familiar tales that we kind of developed that idea in 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 familiar tales it was because like we wanted uh, people would be able to play it with like their kids and whatnot. We knew there were short attention spans at play there, so we we made it so that you can kind of save mm-hmm. it at the end of any page. And so that's just something we brought over here to freelance because, like, you know, why not have the option? We appreciate you coming on, Colby. Thank you for being here and joining us on our first episode. Hey, thanks for doing this, guys. This is this is going to be. Uh, it's it's great to have more summoner war stuff out there and more stuff for the for the meta and for people to chew on i'm sure we'll have you back at some point talk about new decks and new factions and uh yeah would love yeah. to be back talk to you guys uh, soon. thank you so much all right good luck guys we want to thank you all for listening this has been discard for magic the summoner wars podcast we'll have a one episode every two weeks and you can find us on the Discord for Summoner Wars Second Edition, and you can also find me, uh, James, at, at Plaid Hat James on Twitter. And we'll see you on the next episode in two weeks.